1: Just to lay back down and say I won't be coming back Let's call it a heart attack Give me some of that knack This is just a final payback. They all flipped on me Took my passions, left me be. When I had a place to sit, a goddamn attitude to fit, talk real smooth, where to spit. But things have changed and I have quit. Got nothing to look forward to, but backlash full of lies. You're too late. Where you're going? This is fate. The whistle's blowing, it's, it's much too late, it's too late, you're, you're much too late. late. Like a piss, whole punk, with his nose turned up, and a fragrance on your own, tell me, tell me what it's like to be alone, yeah. and yes, let forget. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I'm a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Joining me tonight is Benjamin Fulford. He draws assignment for this evening. Benjamin is a respected journalist and reporter. His sources come from very, very high places. He is a former author and writer for Forbes magazine, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again, on a night like this. Don't forget, you too can get involved. Your phone calls are always needed. That number is 760-332-8724. Don't be afraid. That number is 760-332-8724. Now let's bring in Mr. Benjamin Fulford. Benjamin, what's going down?
0: Nothing. I'm waiting for you.
1: Perfect. Konnichiwa, my friend. Konnichiwa. Yes, welcome to End of Days. Thank you for being here. I truly appreciate you spending your morning here with us Mm -hmm. all. Yes, and how are you, Ben, by the way? What's going on over there?
0: Well, it's it's a fine day here, and I just come back from walking my dogs, and nice spring weather, so life is good.
1: Perfect. I'm so glad it's going well for you. And I wanted to get things started tonight Mm -hmm. by just asking you about yourself, Ben, and what you represent.
0: Okay, well, uh, you know, I was, I have been a journalist for all my career, but I got involved in political activism because uh, I was invited to join a secret elite and told that they had a plan to, you know, call 90% of the world's population. I have this on tape. I can prove it in the court of law. And so I found myself, uh, forced into a fight against this group that were planning this, who I suppose you could call them the Nazis or I, I, I started, started to use the phrase Kazarian mafia to identify this group of people to avoid, you know, um, associating them specifically Germans or Jews, you Understood, know. Understood. Yes. Um, but, you know, I'm a journalist, so I get my stuff firsthand. I don't, you know, read stuff on the internet and regurgitate it. I actually talk to people in power and, 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 uh, uh, and so, you know, I've been in this fight now for at least 11 years against these people. And fortunately we're winning. Um, the plan to start World War III has been stopped. The, the, um, and this, you can forensically prove this, okay? Um, since Bush Jr. was, you know, stole the election in the year 2000. Agreed. um, They had their 911 Reichstag fire, then they, they imposed a law, the, the Patriot Act, which is exactly identical to the Nazi laws. And then they built, you know, germ warfare laboratories all over the world and tried to spread, um, uh, bioagents like SARS and weaponized bird flu. Ebola, et cetera. Um, this is well documented. And they also, they, they paid a huge amount of money to farmers. So they would stop growing food and grow so-called bioethanol. And they tried to cause starvation crises in 33 countries. And then we've seen multiple attempts to start World War III in North Korea with Iran and Syria. And, and it's all been stopped. So the situation we find ourselves in now is what to do next, The you know, how to change the, the structure of world power that was put in place after World War II. And I'm involved in these discussions.
1: Understood. And one interesting thing about you that I saw on your website is that you went to live with a tribe when you were only 17 years old in, uh, I guess, the Amazon. I'm very – Yeah. I'm very curious how that went about for you. Uh, Can you expand on that?
0: Sure. The thing is, uh, you know, I kind of came from a hippie generation. The Uh, gestalt was that if you went to university, you'd be brainwashed and turned into a consumer. This is sort of like the high school gestalt where I was at. So I decided that if I wanted to learn about civilization, uh, the best thing to do would be to get out of civilization. And – I was, in, you know, uh, influenced by books by Carlos Castaneda about uh studying with a shaman. So I decided to go study with a, a Shipibo shaman, and, and that's why I went to the Amazon. I stayed with the Shipibo Indians um, on the Ucayali River. Uh They used to be cannibals. I see. Uh, because in the rainy season, they couldn't get protein. The fish were hard to find, and so they'd go eat their neighbors. But uh by the time I was with them, they were... They had access to canned fish, so but anyone older than 40 had been a cannibal when they were young. And I guess the most important <clears throat> lesson I learned there, uh, you can call it economics 101, yes, uh, is they they're, they're, their diet consisted mainly of fish and bananas, so you'd have roast bananas and fish soup, or roast fish and uh, banana soup, or fish and banana soup. You get the idea,
1: and, oh, indeed. I'm, I'm just I, curious that. Uh, at such a young age, you were so open-minded, especially enough to go uh, head-on all the way out there, my friend.
0: Well, my father was a Canadian diplomat, and I'd sort of grown up in Cuba, Mexico, and Canada. And I'd also spent a, a lot of time in the Canadian wilderness since I was a, a kid, uh, you know, with bears and wolves and stuff. So wilderness was kind of uh, second nature second to Second nature, me. yes. Understood. And- and I hitchhiked up from Buenos Aires, where my father was, to, to Peru, to the Amazon. And then I got a ride on a boat. So that's how I got there. I didn't go all the way, you know. Um, but let me get back to that story. because yes, I was sick of the fish and bananas. And so I said, let's go eat meat. And I said, all right, let's go hunting. And we went deep into the jungle. Um, and at a certain point, I was too loud and awkward and smelly. They said, just sit here and wait. It and <laughs> went off. And they couldn't find anything. You know, we spent the whole day, you know, trudging around and couldn't get anything. Go back. I'm really hungry. There's nothing to eat because we didn't catch anything. So this is the sort of thing that you, you forget when you're in a, you know, a modern industrial civilization. And you can go to the convenience store and get whatever. You know, whatever, Whatever. Right? Yes. But at the end of the day, we rely on the natural world for our food. And that's the the main lesson I got from the Amazon. I mean, there are a lot of other ones, of course, but – uh and the other thing was that, you know, I could see that uh, this was the, the kind of the um, frontier of what you could call Babylonian civilization. There, In the nearby port town of Pucallpa, there was like a neighborhood that looked like a, a modern American neighborhood. And uh, it was full of these Christian missionaries whose job was they wanted to translate The Bible into every language on earth. And they'd go around and they'd find these uncontacted tribes and they'd, and then first they tried to, you know, shoot spears and arrows at their plane as they flew over and they, they dropped like, uh, bags full of kicking pots, mirrors, machetes and stuff and microphones. And, uh, they would try to figure out the language by, with the microphones. And then eventually they, you know, because they gave gifts, they're hoping they could, Make a friendly approach. They'd land. Um, and sometimes they would be, you know, speared on the spot. And sometimes they were able to try to convert them to Christianity. But, you know, the Indians were very skeptical of all this or the, the natives. I don't know what you want to call them, but, uh, and, uh, and, and I realized also that this, this was just behind these missionaries were these, you know, logging and oil companies and stuff, right? And it's, and it's sort of like they're trying to create. You know, brainwashed slaves so they could exploit resources. It's sort of a scary machine when you're seeing it from the inside the jungle, uh, you know, looking out in. True. And, uh, and that's why I realized, you know, there's something fundamentally wrong with, uh, Western civilization as it was functioning at the time in that it was destroying the natural world and, and, um, also creating humongous inequalities. I mean, especially that's really evident in South America. We have these. Uh, ultra rich, and then you have these people scrabbling in shanty towns and not much in between, you know? Um, but eventually I got the, I understood that, it, and the, the, this was also the, the gestalt in South America, is that somehow Asia had the key to help. And so I decided to go to Asia to try to get help to, to, you know, change the situation. And, and, and essentially 30 years later, that's what I'm doing, you know?
1: Yes. And, how did you first get involved with Forbes, by the way?
0: Well, I um, I went to university in Japan, and at, by the time I graduated, it was our mid-80s, um, I was a, very, a fairly rare Westerner who could pick up a Japanese newspaper and read it. And so I got a job with Knight Ritter Financial News. It's part of the Knight Ritter uh, news chain that owns the Miami Herald and a bunch of U.S. papers. And so I, you know, I was a correspondent for various different uh, papers, the South China Morning Post, and then the Japan's largest economic uh, daily, the Nikkei. And and so it's a small world of foreign correspondents. When I heard those opening at Forbes, I put my name in the hat and got the job. And and so that's how I got that. And I, I was there, Asia Pacific bureau chief, I think, for close to eight years. So.
1: That's pretty incredible. And Ben, the first time I heard of you was back in 2007. When at the time I didn't exactly explore too many researchers out there or journalists myself, but I did in fact hear your interview with David Rockefeller and I just kept wondering how on earth did he pull that off? That's pretty incredible.
0: Well, let me explain how, you know, this is a, this is where I kind of uh, entered the rabbit hole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What happened was that, um, Finance Minister Heizo Takenaka. This is uh, around year 2000, just after 911. Um, had uh, the whole time I'd been a business reporter in Japan. Japan's economic landscape was de- dominated by something called cross-shareholding. The big companies and, and banks owned each other's shares, so foreigners couldn't come in and take over. And when Takenaka came into power basically handed over all of the control of the corporations to these foreign hedge funds. Um, and when I studied these hedge funds and, and followed the paper trail, it led to a bunch of foundations. And then the paper trail led to, you know, people like the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. Um, and, you know, when I confronted Hazel Takenakin in an interview about this, and I have a recording of this interview, but uh, well, later I was told that you know he had no choice. They had been threatened with earthquake machines, which at the time you know I mean this was way out there for me, right? It's like what you know. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing that that for the Japanese they said you know you're you're ruled by people like the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. Those are your rulers, right? And as a a Forbes writer who writes about billionaires, I mean I thought, okay, well they're like an old money, they're like number three hundred in the list. They they're like past tense. Well why do the Japanese think this, you know? And I had to go back to the 1918 edition of Forbes magazine um to to find that the John Rockefeller I had basically suddenly become poor overnight because he donated all his money to foundations. And once he put the money in a foundation you don't have to pay inheritance tax, and you don't have to really disclose anything. Um And and I realized, and there was like hundreds of foundations, and they all led to a small group of families. Um And so there were actual trillionaires out there, not just billionaires. Uh, and again, I followed the paper trail. I didn't, you know, just read this on some site. When I started this, for example, when I look up Rothschild on the Internet, there was exactly one sentence in the entire Internet, it was an Israeli chat board with one line saying there's a rumor that they helped found Israel. That's it. Now, of course, there's like six million pages about these people. And, and, you know, but, but at the time, it was nothing. It was like a blank. uh you know, Nobody knew about this. So getting back to um Rockefeller. What happened after that was uh after I confronted Hazel Takenaka, I got called by a man who said he was sent by Takenaka. Uh, Hazel, he was uh, from the Japan Development Bank. Again, I have all this on tape. You know, yes. Uh, and uh, paper trail, but and I met in a hotel room with this guy called Shiramine who described himself as a, as a ninja, you know, which is, a, you know, again, what the hell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and basically, he said that I would, you know, be offered the job of finance minister of Japan, um, you know, just like Hazel Takanaka was, right? Uh, but I had to go along with this plan to kill 90% of the world's population because they needed to do that in order to save the environment, right? And uh, and uh they said if I didn't, they were going to kill me, right? So a few days later, I get a call from a Japanese movie director. And I go to another hotel room, and, and this time I meet someone who says he's from an Asian secret society and they have 6 million members and several hundred thousand assassins. And they could help, but that the society couldn't be used for personal benefit, it could only be used for the greater good. You can imagine this is like you know I'm just kind of like dazed and and uh confused, and you know it's like really taking the red pill right I mean this was until that time, I was completely mainstream uh you know superficial gestalt out person right? right um and suddenly uh, all this stuff hits me and. I did a lot of thinking, and I had what I call my Kill Bill moment. Yeah, you know the movie Kill Bill. There's these two women fighting, and it's it's really no one knows how it's going to end. It's a really tough fight, and suddenly,
1: absolutely, yeah,
0: she grabs the eye and pulls it out, and fights over. And I realized that the you know most Western people would be absolutely appalled if they'd heard there was a plan to kill ninety percent, you know, including most of their their them and their own families, right? And that the weakness of this group was that they were highly centralized and there was very few of them. So I gave the Asian group a list of names. These were people who were on the Bilderberg uh, Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission. And I said, if you target these people, you can put an end to this plan to kill 90% of the world's population. And, uh, this, this is, and then, um, around the time this was going on, um, David Rockefeller came to Japan for what was supposed to be, uh, publicity for his biography, which is coming out in a Japanese translation. And, uh, there was a large bookstore that suddenly a bunch of men in black shut down all the entrances, right? Right. And David Rockefeller made himself available to sign his biography to, to, to readers, right? and somebody sent me a um photograph from this event saying David Rockefeller is in town right and uh i've been a you know correspondent talking to western elites for you know a couple of decades uh in tokyo and i knew where they stayed they either stayed at the imperial hotel or uh, the uh, okura right right and Years ago, for example, I, I once – I'd also interviewed uh, Paul Volcker. And at the time, there was a rumor that Paul Volcker was in town. I called up the Imperial Hotel and said, Paul Volcker's staying there. And suddenly, they said, wait a minute. And then the phone turns. This is Paul Volcker speaking. It's like, whoa, you know. I actually got the man, you know. Bear so well. I had this experience, this background. So what I figured is, okay, um, he's going to be at either the, the Okura or the Takeoka. Probably the Okura because it's across the street from the U.S. Embassy. So I waited until 10 o'clock at night, uh, which I figured he'd still be awake, but his handlers would have been gone to their own rooms. And I called and I got him directly. And he agreed to interview me the next morning. And that's how I got that interview.
1: Very interesting. Yeah, you conducted a lot of fantastic interviews with some, I guess you could say, very dangerous people.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, the, these, uh, these people, I mean, I've survived, uh, five very close calls, assassination attempts, God knows how many, you know, not so close calls. Uh, these are serious people. Uh, very serious. It's not, you know, I didn't, I had no choice, okay? Um, but, but, you know, uh, uh you know, you, you have to deal with some very nasty, dangerous people when you're talking at this high level where, where you know, uh, assassination is a, a, is a, a, a just a, another tool in the toolbox, you know, with these people. Um, but I think the reason I'm still alive is that, you know, I made it clear that all I'm trying to do is save the planet. I'm not out there to get bad guys. I'm not out there to, you know, I'm just trying to change this system that's destroying the, you know, natural world we live in. Yeah, Yeah, I think a lot of them realized that. I wasn't out to get them. I was out to try to convince them to change the way they run this planet.
1: Yeah, you basically spoke to the Committee of 300.
0: Yeah, look, since that happened, you know, that interview and all that stuff, all sorts of people popped out of the woodwork. I got contacted by a group that called themselves the Gnostic Illuminati, and they said that they were founded by Pythagoras and that they had started the French... Russian and American revolutions that they were against bloodline rule. And I was contacted by MI6, CIA, KGB, uh, North Korean secret police, et cetera, et cetera, you know, Uh, the assassins. And perhaps the other really interesting group was, uh, you know, the um, Leo Zagami showed up.
1: Yes, let me. me. Yes, I want to. I definitely want to. Preface this just a tiny bit. And of course, I told you in a private email, a lot of these, a lot of these factions I read about or was told about so many years ago. And I always thought, well, most of these must be embellished to some degree. But after doing more research and doing a lot of research on you, Benjamin, and and some of the things that you have, some of the interviews that you conducted it really solidified. A lot of these things people have been saying in the past, but you really solidified it for me personally.
0: <clears throat> okay, well, Zagami said he was also from a group called the Illuminati, and it, but it was clearly not the same as the Gnostic Illuminati because <clears throat> he said they were the bloodlines of the Caesars, uh, the the um, and that they controlled the Vatican and the Mafia and and uh, um. And then he said a lot of weird esoteric stuff, uh, like that they, they did, you know, like when you see in the movies where they draw like a pentagon on the floor sure. and they like candles and they chant stuff, these guys actually do that sort of stuff.
1: A right? ritual, and, yes.
0: And they believe that they invoke entities and, uh, and, and he told me this, you know, some pretty creepy stuff, like he'd once eaten a human fetus and, and, uh, that they sacrificed children. It's all, you know, really creepy stuff. Okay.
1: Yes, and no, on the last, by the way, on the last episode of this program, for those that are just listening in right now, I I interviewed Leo Zagami, and he mentioned you in passing, Benjamin, and it wasn't in the most flattering fashion. So I'm very curious your what your relationship is and why you had this sort of falling out with Leo. And in your email, you told me something uh, pretty heavy about him.
0: Alright, let me, I'll, I'll tell you, there's a lot, to, a lot to tell, but um No doubt, no doubt. We'll start. He came to, to Japan to visit me, right? And right. after I sort of told the Asian Secret Society that that was how to deal with the problem, right? And um he came with this blonde American woman who said it was his girlfriend. And after um he left, she was supposed to go to, uh, Okinawa to help, uh, you know, organize a reggae concert, and then she phoned me, uh, saying, oh, you know, this black man who who was organizing a conference said I had to have sex with him, or or else, you know, and what should I do? And I said, well, get, you know, get the hell out of there. Get in a taxi, go to the airport, and and leave, right? And then I'll put you up in my lady friend's house if you have nowhere to stay, right? Right. And then Zagami calls and says, I want that man killed. If you don't kill him, I'm going to send two murderers from Sicily to kill him, right? So, I, I tell the Japanese authorities about this and let me tell you, the real authorities are no distinguishable from the Yakuza gangsters. Okay. At the high level we're dealing with, you know, um, it's all the same people. And, and they, and they, and, and, but anyway, they said that what they would do is they would take the assassins to the person and they, they could do it themselves. Or They're, they're not going to do it for him. And then he just dropped the whole thing. And when I went to Italy, uh, and I'm, I met this lady. She said the whole thing was fake, okay? It was a, it was a whole – it was some kind of way to entrap me, or they're trying to get me to do something, you know, uh, so that they could – anyway, the whole thing was was a, a, a some sort of fake event. Uh, anyway, I went to Italy uh, later to meet the P2 people, and I was taken around by Zagami, and he showed me that he could basically walk in and around St. Peter's and, and, and uh, like he owned it, and he'd go in behind back doors, and, and it was clearly like – you know, uh, we're in charge here. And he told me they were going to get rid of Pope Benedict mm. and they did. Okay. And then he said that the highest ranking person he could introduce me to was someone by the name of Vincenzo Mazzara, who was a cavalier of the Teutonic Knights. Right. Right. So I went to Milan to meet him and he said, you mind if I smoke a cigar? And I said no, go ahead. And and the whole day he's taking me on a tour. He kept blowing smoke at me, right? Wow. And he took me to the, the cathedral in Milan. He said, look, uh, pointed to this stained glass window of the Black Sun. He says this is our god, the Black Sun, and it was like a black thing, and around it um, colors were coming out, right? And and then he showed me photographs of these entities, uh not sorry, old paintings. And the, these are the, the gods we take our orders from. And he said that they. They're communicated via the gamma waves, right? And I tell you, when I was in that cathedral, it was a a very strange subjective thing that happened to me, but it was as if the entire building disappeared and I was standing on a like white cloud staring at a a black void. It's not just dark, but it was cold. It was like anti-life. It was like, it was just, you know, I was, it was very, uh, very draining experience, but Anyway, I left, I finished the tour, and he was supposed to meet me the next morning at 10 o'clock in the morning. But that night, I had an incredible attack. Of my, my lungs seized up. I nearly died, okay? It was like I couldn't breathe. But I, I survived. The next morning, he didn't show up at 10 o'clock when we were supposed to. So I called him up and said, why aren't you here? He says, you're still alive? Like he's really surprised. Wow. Um. You know, and, and uh, later I got called by the CIA, who they said they'd been monitoring my whole visit, right? And they said that, um, you know, they they had recorded a conversation where Zagami had met the Agnelli brothers, right? And they asked the Zagami to leave the room. And then these Agnelli brothers, these are people on Fiat, they also own the Economist magazine, um, said, you know, Zagami is going to expose the emperor. And he was talking to Victor Emmanuel, Emmanuel, the, the, you know, the, theori- theoretically Rome doesn't have a king now, but this was the sort of stuff that I was dealing with. And these are the people who carry out the, um, Davos thing, for example. And, uh, and the CIA told me that Zagami was not my friend, that, 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 you know, um, and I certainly, uh, I left Italy, a very sick man, and it took me a couple of weeks to recover. Um, But believe it or not, I still, I know I have friendly communications with Vincenzo Mazzara, and, um, you know, uh, and I'm trying to convince these, you know, Italian esoteric nobility to to go along with this plan to fix the planet, you know, Um, but Zagami told me a lot of other things that, you know, at the time, I couldn't figure it out, but he said, for example, the U.S. president is called the acting president because he's an actor. He reads a script, right? Right. And you know, watching what's been going on since then, I had to, you know, come to the conclusion: this is true. These people, you know, they don't have real power. They read scripts. Yeah,
1: are, they're, no, they're no cool. doubt. No president actually holds uh, any sort it's, of power here in America. It's mostly those behind. Um, mm-hmm. certain groups as, for instance, a, a shadow government is actually implemented, which is yeah. controlling most of America and most of the world.
0: Sure. Well, that's the, the other thing I found out. I, you might remember, I've talked to every Japanese prime minister since the 1980s and all sorts of other world leaders. And and the thing I found out um, from multiple sources is that when you become a leader or a head of a central bank or probably a finance minister a large country, You get a visit from someone from the Vatican Bank, and they have a a little bank book, and they say, which which is a huge amount of money. It may be a hundred million or a billion, depending what sort of rank you are. They say, Welcome to the Rich Person's Club. Um, this is money that you can use. Uh, but if you don't do what we say, we're going to kill you. Right. This is a classic, you know, silver or lead choice. Right. And that's how they control the politicians we see on our TV sets. This is another thing I found. Again, I you know, I deal with this directly firsthand. I mean, I got that offer for myself and I chose the bullet and, and dodged it, you know, but that's, but I, you know, that that's basically what they do. Yeah. And
1: and how- I'm still blown away, Ben, by the way, that you have been in good relations uh, with this gentleman who tried to have you or that tried to whack you, in other words.
0: Well, you know, it wasn't personal, right? And, and, sure. uh, he, okay. he represents a very powerful group with access to esoteric information. I can't get elsewhere, you know, and certainly talking to long distance via uh, email and stuff is safe enough, you know, uh, but, you know, um, you have to deal with unsavory types when, when you want to, Get information. I mean, I, I've, some of the people I've met give me the heebie-jeebies. You know, true. I've met a couple of sure. people personally murdered more than one hundred each, hundred people each. You know, um, and it, it creeps you out. But if I want to find out what's going on, you got to talk to these people.
1: Yeah, you got to cross the, those lines.
0: Some you know, for example, these are people who, who murder the politicians for the ruling secret families. You know, and, and if you don't talk to them, you don't find out what's going on.
1: Very true. Very true. So I'm curious now, when was the last time you talked to Leo? Uh,
0: I didn't talk to him, but he sent me an email writing, uh, to some sort of conference in a church in, in England, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, that was supposed to discuss the true leadership and power of the planet and something. And, uh, I, I contacted the British authorities and suggested that they arrest him because, you know, uh, at a certain point, he'd been plotting to murder of the entire British royal family, you know um and uh that was the last we contacted him
1: understood and in terms of individuals trying to take your life, when was exactly the last time one of these situations uh unfolded for you, my friend?
0: Last time, I think was, it's actually a few years ago, I, I had a speaking event, um, it was, uh, two, two thousand and, I can't remember, it was a few years ago, I had a public speaking event in Yoyogi, uh, Tokyo, and this man came up to me afterwards, said, you know, um, you're really great, can I shake, uh, shake your hand? And he stabbed me with a poison needle. Ooh, and uh, I, you know, and I immediately started sucking the blood out of the wound. And, and um, I got called by friends of a Christopher Story, a, a fellow journalist who had been murdered by a similar method. And they told me that if I took large doses of vitamin C and D, like 5000 units of vitamin D, per day, and a a, a gram of, or a thousand milligrams of vitamin C every six hours, right away, that I could stop it, and that's what I did, and I since found out the assassin was a name, a guy by the name of, um, Mutsuaki Okubo, he's a North Korean, there were many witnesses to this event, I went to the Japanese police, they they didn't take any action, you know, um, and uh, they still haven't, you know, but, but, uh, this is well, the last time they tried to kill me that I'm aware of.
1: Understood, understood. And, of course, this leads me to ask you another question about another gentleman by the name of Robert David Steele, who you interviewed yourself out there in Japan. Uh-huh. Uh, I interviewed Robert myself. I found him to be a pretty interesting individual in his own right. Um, what exactly is your take from Mr. Robert David <coughs> Steele?
0: I think that he represents an independent attempt by the, the Pentagon to, and, the, and the U.S. Marines to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, you know that they they set up their own intelligence operations because they didn't trust the CIA, and they you know, and they are trying to find out directly themselves what's going on. And and I think uh, he came to see me as part of that process. You know, the military trying to independently find out exactly what's happening. Understood, and uh, you know he's a very uh, smart man, and very he smart, has yeah. Good, practical, down to earth uh, ideas about how to you know improve the way we manage the, the planet. And uh, I introduced him to some Asian secret society types to see if we couldn't um, you know start implementing some of his ideas, at least in a you know the, the Chinese um, when they decided to modernize their economy, they they started by fencing off an area near Hong Kong and trying an experimental thing first, right, to see if right. it works. And I suggest that they do the same with his ideas of open source, uh, you know, economics. And they could make a zone maybe along the North Korean border or something to try this out. Um, and that might happen, but, you know, there's still – right now there's this deadlock between the Eastern and Western secret societies that hasn't quite – you notice this week, um, Chinese president Xi Jinping, he canceled his summit with, uh, Trump, U.S. president Donald Trump, and instead he's going this week to Italy and he's going to be going to, I think Monaco. So he'd be re- uh, re- meeting the, the Italian P2 Freemason type summits. You know, no, that's the only reason to go there. Right. Um, but you know, these negotiations are ongoing. Um, and the latest I heard is that they're actually trying to come up with a uh, uh, some sort of world federation government. That's what they're trying to do.
1: It's very interesting. Uh, Robert does have plenty of interesting <coughs> ideas, an open source government being one of them. And while it's a good idea, I don't think those in charge would really feel the same way and want to implement an well, open source it. government. <clears throat> Excuse you know, me. Yes.
0: If you use a scientific method, you do, do do an experiment and see what happens, right? That's why I suggested they create a special zone to try this out and see what it works. And the other thing is that the, traditionally the Chinese economic system was sort of open source. <clears throat> they didn't have patents or anything. The, if, if people wanted to keep proprietary information secret, they kept it secret. But, you know, there wasn't any sort of systematic protection. And, um uh and copying stuff was, like, normal. Now, I don't know if that's a good system or not. I, I think what you need to do is you try it in a in a, in a restricted zone and see if it works better, you know, and, and just be pragmatic, pragmatic about it.
1: Understood. And I agree with you full, full, uh, full-heartedly. I would love to see something like that implemented here in the States. However, uh, man just lies way too much to have that especially if it's going to be something that the government is going to run and we both know our government here well my government here in america tells plenty of lies my friend
0: well you know they they've told so many lies now that they've kind of painted themselves into a corner i mean the you know the mossad saying is though so wait wage war through deceit or something like that i'm paraphrasing but uh they obviously never heard the story about the boy who cried wolf. you know that works for a while, but eventually you you know uh, people just stop believing it, and that's what's happening now they their their attempts to manipulate us are falling apart in real time you know um and uh at the end of the day uh freedom of the press and an accurate information is essential to a healthy society if people don't know what's really going on, they can't make informed decisions. And people aren't dumb. If they have accurate information, they usually come to pretty good conclusions about it. And that's why we need to end this system of lies and fake events and, and uh secrecy and all that kind of stuff and have once again a very transparent system. It's just healthier.
1: Agreed, and we'll jump into that in a moment. And Benjamin, are you affiliated with any groups currently right now?
0: Um, I you know <clears throat> I've been uh I joined the Asian Secret Society at the very beginning because uh they, they offered me protection at a time when some very dangerous people were trying to kill me. Which um, is
1: needed, yes. Yeah.
0: And and uh they asked me to contact any Western groups who agreed with their their wish to stop this attempted at genocide. You see the the Chinese had um eavesdropped one of the Bohemian Groves meetings. And found out about this plan to kill 90% of the world's population. So they asked me to contact Western groups that, that would, you know, agree that this had to be stopped. And, you know, as a, a Asia Pacific Bureau chief for the, what was then the world's largest business magazine. And my father was a diplomat and ambassador. My grandfather was a politician, um, in Canada. I had a lot of connections. So I contacted all sorts of people and. Right. I've, you know, got people from the the Agnostic Illuminati, the KGB, or I guess they're called FSB now, um, all sorts of different people uh, agreeing with our plan to, you know, change the system. Uh, So right now I'm talking to all sorts of groups. But at the end of the day, I'm still uh, like a lone wolf, independent journalist. Independent, right. But I'm self-financing, and I've turned down astronomical bribes. um, uh, But – I'm in contact with all sorts of groups right now. And and I call this umbrella the White Dragon Society. Um, But it really has people from the military, from the CIA, from North Korea, from the Japanese, uh, from all sorts of people who agree that we need to, you know, have a healthier um, way of running this planet. And we need to stop the ongoing echo side. You know, we've wiped out, what, 50% of species since the 70s, something like that. You know, largest uh extinction event since the dinosaurs were wiped out 65 million years ago and it's caused by humans and we need to stop this and 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 i think we're getting a consensus that that saying yes we need to do something but yeah i'm associated with all sorts of groups but at the end of the day uh i've always been an independent journalist i never joined one when i was young or anything like that i was always a um you know a lone wolf
1: very good very good um I know many people in the media and other people, out, other individuals out there have tried to drag your name through the mud multiple times, multiple smear campaigns on you, Ben.
0: Oh, I mean, you know, they've, and they, they've tried to entrap me so many times. Another time somebody showed up with like 70 kilograms of tainted marijuana and it was tainted with like, like with PCP or something very dangerous. And oh they my. said, if you don't introduce the Japanese mob, we're going to kill you. And, uh, at the same time, they banned my books and, and cut off all my income. And they promised me, um, uh, like $10,000 a month just for making an introduction, right? And it turns out they, they, they <clears throat> the stuff was, if I'd been smoking, I would have destroyed my brain. Okay. It was full of dangerous chemicals and they told me it was a trap. And, um, you know, I didn't make the introduction. Uh, but apparently the, the plan was they're going to say, oh, you know, Benjamin Fulford used to be a good journalist, but then he started getting drugs and became a drug dealer and now mm. he's in jail. Uh, you know, this is one of many attempts. And, and the, the honey traps they sent me, oh boy, I could go on for hours about just that. But, you know, at the end of the day, the honey brings the trap with you. They, they bring, the, they send these beautiful women into your life, but at the end of the day, they're trying to get you into a compromising situation. And they've written things like, I, Placed by a clone i work for the Rockefellers. uh you know all sorts of crazy stuff but
1: for the cia they never,
0: they never come to my face about with this stuff always behind my back because if they come to my face uh i can you know accuse them of slander and if and if right. and i have written misinformation and, and wrong stuff because they fed it to me and as soon as i find out i issue a correction and an apology. Um, and I'll keep doing that, you know, because sometimes stuff slips past my, you know, um, uh, sensors or my, you know, sure. my, my detector. But when that happens, I, I later find out, um, you know, and, and, and correct correct your mistakes. That's what journals do. That's what newspapers do. That's what you know, you're supposed to do. That's yeah, smart.
1: Yeah. And for those that don't know the Yakuza, they yeah. are basically involved with everything, uh, for a short time once the, I guess you could say the normal folks out there in Japan realized with one, uh, for an example, was a uh, mixed martial arts company called pride back in the day and the Yakuza got involved. And once the networks uh, caught wind of that, they took their TV contract away, which is weird (laughs) because that has, there's so, there's so many different uh, things in, in politics out there. It's, it's quite, it's quite okay. crazy.
0: look, the, the yakuza. It's that I, I could go on. For, I mean, I've known so many of them for so many years. You know, like I'm in France with the the son-in-law, the big boss of the Yamaguchi Gumi, which is the world's largest crime syndicate for for more than a decade. Um, I could go on and on about this, but let me just say sure. that there's a couple of things you need to know about them. First of all, a lot of them represent what you call defeated military clans. Okay, they, for example, the Japanese military. Um, and spy network, they lost World War Two, but they they have a, a network that's still sort of there. Uh, and then there are you know people involved in traditional criminal activities like you know gambling and money laundering and all that kind of stuff, right? right it's just business, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, but. The, the thing you need to know is that the Americans sort of subcontracted the control of the Japanese political system to these crime gangs, uh, ever since World War II. And so a lot of them worked for the CIA and subcontracted for the Pentagon, uh, including the North Koreans. Okay. This is the sort of stuff you don't find out from reading the newspaper.
1: True. Very true. Lots of things the American people don't know. Uh, in regards to what's going on in Japan, and of course, any time I think of Japan, I instantly think of Fukushima, and of course, all the nuclear reactors in the United States, and how I'm close to <laughs> okay. one out here. Go ahead.
0: I was deeply involved in the whole Fukushima thing from before it happened, and and I do want to talk about this because it's really important. Yes, I, sir. I can, I can prove this in a court of law. Uh, this uh, I was approached by a gentleman who. Calls himself Alexander Romanoff. Uh, he, he's goes by various aliases. I, uh, you know, I, I know his real name, but let's just say he was a drug dealer for a drug smuggler. He'd he in like 100 kilos of hashish to Japan every month or so on a, on a yacht. Good right? times. Yes. And one time he was called to Pattaya in Thailand where he was blindfolded, taken to a place where he, he met some military types. Um, who showed him a nuclear weapon and uh, was stolen from the Russian submarine Kursk, which sank in 2000. And they told him that he had to smuggle it in, um, to Japan with his next shipment of drugs. This guy was like a sleeper agent and they, they woke him up, right? Right. So they, they took this weapon, which, you know, um, into Japan from uh, the Philippine Yacht Club, and then into a, uh, to a remote Japanese island. It was put on a fishing boat. Then it was taken uh, by truck to former Prime Minister Yasuhiro Nakasone's property, and he came to me and said, "You know, they're they're smuggling a nuclear weapon into Japan. They're going to use it for nuclear terrorism, right?" And he became a whistleblower, and. I contacted Japanese police and all sorts of places. I wrote about it saying they're going to do something, you know, nuclear terror against Japan and nobody did anything. And then we, we followed this weapon to the North Korean citizens or, you know, uh, organization, uh, which is like a, a unofficial North Korean embassy. And from there it was taken aboard the deep sea drilling ship, the Chikyu. Okay. And again, I, I uh, Alexander Romeroff, he was an Australian secret agent. And he went to the Australian embassy and said they're, they're about to do a, a nuclear terror attack against Japan. And the day after he went to the Australian embassy, Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd was dismissed from office by the Federal Reserve, according to, um, Australian secret police. In other words, by these Italian, uh, types, you know, right. that, uh, we're talking about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were local news reports saying that the, the deep sea drilling ship, the Chikyu, where the bomb had been taken aboard, uh, was drilling off the coast of Fukushima. And we had a, um, um, we still have under protection a member of the Japanese Self Defense Forces who was involved. They, they, he said that they divided the weapon into five smaller weapons. It was a 500 kiloton weapon. Okay. Um. And they drilled him 10 kilometers into the seabed. He thought it was some kind of earthquake research. And when the tsunami happened and he realized what happened, all his colleagues who'd been involved in this job were murdered one after the other. And he went to a, a Christian church for shelter. And, and he's been sheltered by Christian groups to this day. But he published a detailed book in Japanese about exactly how, how this happened. And the other thing you need to know is that the Japanese authorities were ordered out of the Fukushima nuclear reactor before this tsunami event, and an Israeli company by the name of Magna BSP was put in charge of security. And in fact, they they put a small uh, nuclear weapon there to blow up the plant. So this was a terrorist attack against Japan by the uh, P2 Freemason Roman types, and it was because the Japanese were planning to use their $7 trillion in money they'd earned since World War II, uh, you know, selling cars and TVs to the world to finance a project to help the planet. And, and so it was an extortion against Japan. And after that, um, the CSIS, uh, Richard Armitage, Michael Greenberg, and Gerald Curtis, uh, who's supposedly a Columbia University professor, but he's really, uh, CIA in Japan, they, um, Faked an election in Japan. All the uh, votes were counted by a company called Musashi, uh, which was owned by the Council on Foreign Relations. And basically they put Prime Minister Abe into power and after the uh, Fukushima event, you know, they're sort of, and if you follow what the, the CIS is, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, it's Georgetown University and then that goes to the Vatican and those people again. Okay. Uh, so these are the people who staged this attack and, um, they're, they're still clinging to power, but you know, they're, they're definitely uh, losing the plot. They're under attack on multiple fronts. You can see that in all sorts of ways. Um, the, the biggest and most obvious was when they used the uh, anti-hijack, um, mech override and to knock down the Ethiopian Airlines flight. And suddenly there was a world boycott on Boeing. that's never happened before uh you know the, the, and then venezuela their their attempt at regime change there has failed um you know they're they're under attack like they've never been before and and they've been in power thousands of years. This is really historical stuff
1: it's a very interesting time to be alive indeed. So many yeah. things going on around the world right now. It's uh-huh. mind-boggling. And one thing I did want to ask you really quickly here was what exactly is the perception of the Japanese in regards to President Donald J. Trump?
0: Well, the, the media here is under control of the same kind of people who, who control the New York Times and the Washington Post. So there's a sort of a hysterical anti-Trump um media campaign which has affected opinion here to a certain extent um, you know so I, I'd say overall they don't like him it, um, but that's because they're brainwashed uh, and I would say personally about Donald Trump he's trying to make America great again but the rest of the world is doesn't just look at America you know he, he needs to, to look at the world as a whole a bit more that's my only you know I mean I I know they're trying to reform what's happening inside the U.S take down the deep state and put these criminals in jail. So I say, by all means, go for it. But we do have an entire planet to worry about. We still have this extinction event going on, and we need to do something about it. And, and you know, what I've personally been pushing is, you know, uh to set up a future planning agency with a like a multi-trillion dollar budget to, to you know, stop all this environmental destruction, put an end to poverty, you know, and, and then sort of, the, according to the American Academy of Sciences, more than 6,000 patents have being suppressed for so-called national security reasons. A lot of these could probably be safely introduced to the civilian population. and we could have an incredible uh, boom, economic boom, you know. So anyway, um, getting back to that, I mean, yes. people understand that the, the – the, current system isn't working, and it needs to be replaced. And I think that a consensus is building that something new has to be done.
1: I agree with you, yes. And one one thing I did uh, find very interesting on your website was your goal is to counter U.S. propaganda and expose the Japanese people to the truth. And you wrote that they may free themselves from the colonial yoke. And yes, the, the yoke, we are definitely born with yoke around our necks, like it says, and we are indeed enslaved by man's social constructs and, uh, in this uh, very big broken system.
0: You know, I'll tell you something. I've published more than 70 books written in Japanese and a lot of them have been bestsellers. So the Japanese understand what's going on. Uh, I was approached, you know, I tried to publish a book in English. Um, and 11 publishers wanted to do it, including, you know, all the big ones. And yeah. then they were all stopped. And finally, mm. uh, one company called, um, and anyway, an Arizona publisher wanted to go ahead and publish anyway. And the U S department of Homeland security froze the entire publishing company's bank accounts. Wow. To me from publishing my book in English. Um, because they, you know, they, they don't want the people to wake up to what's happening. Um, but I'll tell you, okay, for what the sort of thing they would all want people to know, for example, the, uh, the Japanese imperial family, uh, when, when in the Meiji reform, what happened was they take this 3,000 year old, uh, imp- the oldest imperial family on earth, and they had a Habsburg princess marry into the family. So it's, uh, it's a, a Jewish bloodline. Uh, this is the sort of thing they don't want you to know about. Yes,
1: bloodlines yeah. are very important for those that don't know yet.
0: And and again, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, if the the bloodlines, uh, you know, again, I'm I'm not trying to say we don't need to end bloodline rule. I'm just saying, just fix the planet, you know. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not right, trying right. to overthrow these people. I'm, you know, this has been going on thousands of years. Who am I to say, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, we need to save the planet.
1: We do. That's true. I agree with you 100% on that assessment. And uh, going back to the president really quickly here, I just want to say uh, no matter what anyone's opinion is on his character, he hasn't exactly had an easy run uh, as the president whatsoever. He's had uh, multiple lineup changes in his administration, and I'm sure that gets uh, pretty exhausting for him and everyone else trying to keep up with all these things going on with him. And we've never seen an administration like this uh, going in and out and replacing yeah. different people it's it's phenomenal to see
0: it's the it's the gnostic illuminati uh against the bloodlines that's my you know reading of the situation um remember that uh Secretary of state john Kerry was in was in antarctica
1: yes john on Kerry
0: election day? and I actually talked to someone who was there at the base uh he's um Relative of Admiral Byrd of Antarctic exploration uh, fame and and a a senior CIA guy. He was there at the meeting.
1: Okay. Yeah. Go ahead and explain that because there's been lots of uh, activity, lots of information and news that are coming from Antarctica. So I definitely want to hear uh, your understanding.
0: He was told that a decision had been made to go ahead with Trump instead of Clinton. And apparently there was a, a shootout with, between special forces at the underground base in Denver Airport uh to take control of the election-stealing machinery. And if you look at the election, it, it started out with Hillary winning, and suddenly it flipped, and everything went to Trump. Um So, the, the people who had been all assuming that it was going to be Hillary Clinton, according to the, the plot, right. were, were completely flabbergasted. And since then doing everything in their po in their power to try to, you know, overturn this decision. Um, and the battle continues to this day. So it's a, it's a civil war at the highest level.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. You said a civil war because that's where I was going to take it to right now. You also said a, a Japanese member uh, did not go to America to have some meeting. And that reminds me of what went on several months ago uh, when there was this uh, gentleman by the name of Dimitri uh, Rulgazin from the Roscosmos, he's the director general. He, uh, yeah. yeah, he canceled his trip to NASA because he said uh, in his – well, what he said, and I quote, I think America is now consumed by what is essentially its second civil war.
0: Very mm-hmm. interesting to say, right? Yeah, I'll tell you another weird thing. Okay, a lot of this rabbit hole stuff, I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure it out. But don't worry, me too. Uh, a guy from the P- Defense Intelligence Agency, who was, you know, from their psychic warfare group, the men who stare at goats. Yes. Um, he said that NASA stood for not a space agency. Okay. Hmm. I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't want to go deeper down that rabbit hole. I just don't know. But it's one of these many things that that, uh, that you know. Uh, I'm not sure what to deal with. Like, you know, I have a lot of stuff I can't figure out that's going on, but something fundamentally, uh, different is happening, you know, to, to the way this planet is, is running. That's all I can say. And then, uh, the no cutoff problem. of NASA funding for 35 days is clearly part of this. Um, they apparently they've got their funding back, but it may not continue. You know, the the, the battle is still raging.
1: Understood. And I don't mean to completely jump off track here. But I'm also aware that you, at one point, were regularly in communica- in communication with uh, the gentleman, I believe his name is David Wilcock. Uh, are you still talking to him at all?
0: Well, sometimes. I mean, um, he, uh, you know, I, I forwarded him a bunch of information to him about the, um, the Kennedy assassination and the, uh, the, you know, the plan that Kennedy had to, you know, start a big campaign for the planet and, and how it was stopped and... and you know he publicized that and um but you know um we don't communicate that regularly i know he comments on my uh comment section stuff uh, but I you know i try to stay away from the alien and space stuff uh, for a very simple reason that um it, you know I can't go to a local spaceport and get a plane to a, a rocket to another planet. I can't go to a local portal portal and visit another dimension. Sure. Um, and I think we have to deal with what we can see here and now and, and, and try to focus on that. Um, and the other thing is that extraordinarily extraordinary claims require extraordinary Extraordinary proofs. evidence. And right. uh, a lot of that stuff, I just don't see the proof there.
1: Indeed. I'm um, I'm also asking you this because I know long ago you also had interviewed, you know, like Simon Parks, who is uh-huh. – he also described his experience with several alien beings. And, uh, you know, of course, he's an interesting gentleman. That's for sure. He's made, like you just said, some very extraordinary claims but has not presented empirical evidence to back up the said claims. Uh, now, I'm curious now what your – Experience and your take is of Mr. Simon Parks,
0: well, you know um when it comes to talking about the the system in place now and and on what's happening to the planet, we agree very much you know um and uh and I think that you know the, this whole alien thing is well, if the mothership lands on the white House lawn and stuff and 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 then it becomes real, fine, but I think we're. Uh, you know, the best analogy I can give is that, uh, you know, they're like National Geographic cameraman and they don't interfere between the zebras and the lions, you know? And it's up to the zebras and the lions to sort it out among themselves. I think that's sort of the situation we're at. We're, we're You know, there's clearly some kind of non-interference thing going on or they're not supposed to, but, uh, you know, I just don't, you know, I, I don't see these aliens on the uh, duty-free store, um, you know, it just doesn't seem to impact. Uh, I think the, at a more esoteric level, I think that the trans dimensional beings influence human thought patterns. Okay. I'm willing to go that far.
1: That's okay. It is unusual, though, when you have psychics like Ingo Swan, who definitely did uh, have involvement with the remote viewing project for the CIA. Mm. Going back to Project Stargate, where they definitely yeah. did remote view uh, Jupiter, if I recall correctly.
0: Sure, but weird but stuff. Again, you know, a lot of that stuff is very interesting, but does it help us in here and now? You know, um, not really. Another thing I want to tell you is that when I started talking writing about the the families that owned the central banks and stuff uh, that were privately owned, they weren't government entities. Suddenly, again. All my income was cut off and, and I was, you know, blacklisted from everywhere. And the only places I could get, uh, money was if I go to a, like a UFO conference or, an, a, a, and talk or something like that. And, and, and then there were people going around to everybody I'd known as a Forbes journalist saying, you know, uh, Benjamin Fulford's got crazy, he's taking drugs. That's what they, yeah, stuff. that's what
1: they do. They try to bunch you, bunch you in with, other individuals who've made outrageous comments throughout the past as well, and that's definitely how they try to discredit you.
0: Well, they, what they do is they, they take uh, real information and they add wacko stuff to it so that people will dis- disregard the real information. Right, right. Like, for example, you know, I, I don't like to, I mean, I, David Icke has done a great job in many ways, but I actually listened to his presentation. He talks about all the families that – own the Federal Reserve Board, like the the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers and stuff. And that's very, very well documented. You could write, you know, you could prove that forensically in any court of law, right?
1: Understood,
0: yes. incredible information backing this up. But then he says that above them are these shape-shifting reptilians. And what's his source? Some African lady he talked to or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, wait a minute extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof why are you tacking this on to the you know it's like they're trying to get people not to believe it by you know mixing crazy information with real information so that people will reject the real information
1: understood and uh, another individual who uh david ike clearly lifted material from is jordan maxwell who I've met personally and had lunch with him and we had a long discussion about David Icke mm. and a lot of the things that uh, he took from Mr. Maxwell and he Jordan is actually the one who brought him to America. Mm. So yeah. it's but, kinda strange.
0: So I want to get back to David Wilcock too about there's okay. one of his stories is a guy called Cory uh Storch is a guy called Cory Good. Cory and- Good, yes. And he was feeding me stuff about Antarctica, how they found a frozen city and things, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, I wrote about it a bit, but then I said, okay, well, that's incredible. That's incredible. And, and so I convinced, uh, you know, a Chinese TV station to charter a plane to go down and see for ourselves, right? And suddenly he backs off and says, Oh, no, no, you know, it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I, if they say stuff, I, I'm, I'm a journalist. If I, it appears in writing, it means someone has beaten me to the story. So i said, okay, I'm going to go to Antarctica myself and see it for myself. And when I try to do that, suddenly they back off. You know, it's like, oh, you know. uh, And so that's why I stopped writing about that stuff because they they can't prove it.
1: And fair enough. I, I definitely would take the same route you did and get away from those that don't have any solid evidence to prove a lot of these claims. Very smart to try... Uh, to break away from these types, no doubt.
0: No, but I don't want to get involved in mudslinging. You know that's that's just debilitating. Uh, so I just try not to get involved. If people Understood. attack me, yeah. I kind of ignore it, as, as as you know, and and just continue with my job. Uh, but if somebody slanders me, then I have to. I'm forced to, you know. Um, yeah, to respond.
1: Me. No doubt. That's that's what you definitely have to do, especially in today's climate where anything you say. Uh, Anyone can get offended with it, and, you know, here in America, someone gets offended with anything you say. They could just go to uh, Twitter and then get you fired, hopefully, in their minds.
0: Yeah, that's that's gone way too far. I mean, It's extreme. I have Jewish ancestry, but I'm not hypersensitive, you know, if they say, you know, uh, I I just – I think people should develop thick skins, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm with you. And just you know, don't 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 get into that kind of. Just don't sink to their level, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm. My with grandmother you
0: on that. once told me, "If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at <laughs> all." And I think that's really good advice, you know.
1: Oh yes, and of course, no good deed goes unpunished, which is oh. another great one that has proven true throughout the years. And Benjamin, oh. by the by the way, speaking of your family and and grandparents and all and all of that, uh, were you raised at all religious?
0: Uh, no, my father was an atheist. My mother was an agnostic. Um, so no, uh, but I've been forced by dealing with this stuff. I have to, you know, be reading the Bible and stuff because, sure. you know, this is, these, these are, the, I'm dealing with the actual people who, you know, probably wrote the Bible and, and are still in control to this day. I mean, so I've been forced to, you know, <clears throat> um, get into all this stuff because we're dealing at the end of the day with the people who control monotheism and the families and that are that. So, so now I'm getting involved in it, but I wasn't brought up religious. No. Okay. But I do believe there's a creator. We didn't create ourselves. Something else created us. And, uh, that means that to respect the creator, we should respect the creation, which means, you know, respecting other humans and respecting nature. Um, and and I think even an atheist can agree that much, you know. Um,
1: yes. Where, where would you classify yourself exactly? I, I consider myself an agnostic atheist.
0: I'm kind of uh, trying to be uh, spiritual in the true sense of the word, where you have direct experience with the, you know, for example, if you meditate, you could actually um, directly contact the, source if you want to call it the the energy of the universe whatever but but um you know i I, but i'm i'm focused on the real world and and um,
1: sure i hear you
0: you know and i'm not and there's another there's a sufi saying you know i don't serve god like a servant and expectations of my wages you know i'm not trying to get an afterlife ticket to heaven or anything like that i'm i'm doing good because it makes common sense it's practical it's pragmatic not because i i want you know to avoid hell or get heaven i just you know Uh, (laughs) certainly
1: (laughs) (laughs) but Ben do you believe in like an afterlife though
0: Uh, I'll find out when I die
1: (laughs) great answer (laughs) great answer yes Uh, that's that's kind of like myself in terms of being an agnostic atheist there's some days where I don't believe in a god at all and then there are days where I truly believe at times there's certainly something out there not in terms of uh, a, a human like me or you, more like a source of energy, something to that nature, to that strange degree, something that the human mind can't even uh, comprehend.
0: I think we live in a digital construct of some sort. If you, if you go back to the, the very foundations of philosophy, right, is why does anything exist at all? True. And the answer is you can't have nothing unless there's something to contrast it with. So it's like Zero, one, black, white, uh, good, evil—it's—it's a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's like a, a binary system. So it is a kind of a digital construct, and I believe that if that's the case, we should be able to hack reality in and of itself. I know that's pretty w- way out there, but I think that's something that we might be getting the power to do. For example, we can now start to change our genes as we wish. Uh, so. In theory, for example, the 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 technology should be available so I could turn myself into a whale and swim around the oceans and then come back and, and turn myself back into a human. It's now that sort of power is now entering the real world. Uh, so we're heading for something totally unknown. Uh, that's my view on things. It's something just never I, happened before.
1: I think you I think you're right because there was some Chinese scientist. Who had made these uh gene edited twins
0: yeah and 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 the other thing is weird is that okay i i I could have a little piece from the newspaper right uh-huh. what is it uh, what is it oh yeah the National academies of Science Engineering, and medicines issued a report uh concluding that editing genes must not happen, okay mm. It's like, who the hell are these people? where do they come from? Who finances them? Why you know, wouldn't you want to be able to edit your genes so you could live to be a thousand years old?
1: A hundred percent. Or yeah. have
0: better eyesight, you know? And, or not and who be, are these yeah. people who are forgetting forbidden us from improving ourselves? And and who gives them that power and that right, you know?
1: Very true. Why would you be against something that would help humanity for
0: And uh, and they come up with stories mm-hmm. like, well, that would create, you know, haves and have nots. Well, we can make them all haves. We can make, you know. Uh, everybody have it so you know their arguments are just don't work
1: yeah they say Um, you're playing god
0: well um if god didn't want us to play god he'd stop us. (laughs) agreed you know but we've got to be careful and responsible i agree with that you know we don't want to you know um i think the example was they the, the cane toads in australia they they lease them in the wild and then and start destroying Australian wildlife. And, and, you know, we don't want to have unintended consequences. I agree with them on that. But, you know, we should definitely uh, push for immortality and superpowers in this world, not in the next, you know?
1: No, I agree. We definitely should have something like that that would save humanity now and for the next generations. No doubt.
0: You know they, they, everything. It's like a taboo. Anything to improve ourselves. So, for example, anybody who uses an enhancing medicine is banned from the Olympics and, 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 you know, considered a criminal. Or, uh, and over the years, I've been reading science magazines, and every time they come up with something that can prolong life, they, they have, they say, oh, but you know, this, you know, there'll be no demand for it. So. Uh, a couple of years ago, a Harvard researcher found a, a simple uh, protein that could, you know, make the uh, 60-year-old mice equivalent to like 20-year-old equivalent. And then, you know, I, I said, just wait and see. And sure enough, a while later, it came out that, uh, it, it would have to cost $50,000 a day. You know, they're, they're, you know, which is a simple protein. Come on. Somebody or something out there doesn't want us to Improve or get smarter or stronger. It's, it's like we're, um, okay. I'll give you a, a, a metaphor. I think that might be, I have a great, appropriate. Go I, ahead. I once visited a, a pig farm in Japan and they have all these pigs. Uh, there are these one huge old pig he's like 60 years old and he's the, the breeding male. And then there's these giant females, you know, um, and then there's these piglets and Piglets suckle and eat, and then when they're about one year old, they go onto a truck and off they go. And they don't know where they go, you know? Yeah. Right? And I think that maybe we're like those little piglets, you know. They're they're keeping us deliberately uh short-lived and ignorant because there's something, you know, using us like some kind of farm animal. I mean, no, that's a bit crazy, but why else would they prevent us from, you know, enhancing like living longer or or getting smarter who's doing it why
1: yes and that goes along with a lot of uh, things i thought were important and so do people in sports uh for example hmm. hgh which hmm. is you know not allowed in most sports well in all major sports you can't be on the steroids you can't be taking human hmm. growth hormone but for the older older folks uh, this sort of thing will actually extend your life.
0: Yeah. A- again, they're trying to stop this from happening for some reason. Um, and and uh, you know, I think that the forensic trail and this th- does lead to Milan, Italy, and Zug, Switzerland, and places like that. And um, and that's where we need to you know press to find out what's going on and and you know try to liberate humanity.
1: I agree. Definitely, okay. we we need to take it up there. What were we going to say? Sorry.
0: Yeah, no, I'm just saying. I I think we're getting. I have to start my day here. So, if there's anything you want to conclude. Oh with, yes, I'm... let's
1: let's wrap it up pretty soon here. So definitely, let's let's get into some of the current news before we we take we take it off here. Oh. Uh, tragedy struck yet again this time in New Zealand, and of course it was all captured live and streaming. Very rough stuff to watch if you are easily sensitive, and of course this sort of footage uh can disturb lots of individuals out there but of course now we hear that uh this footage wasn't exactly genuine from some folks out there in their perspectives they think this was uh all faked benjamin what's your take
0: you know i, I when i wrote my weekly report I, I still wasn't sure but i'm i'm now leaning towards the uh opinion that this is a computer graphic fake event designed to manipulate public opinion. Um, And there's a lot of that going on. I mean, they they carry out these things and and they're, but what's happening is that it's just not, it's not having the effect it used to have. Like um, people are getting numb to it. It's it's not working anymore. You know, like mass shootings and, and then uh, media reports about it are, we're getting numb to it. You know what I mean? And a lot of them are. are, are being proven to be fake. Um, and, uh, I think that they're really losing their traditional brainwashing tools. More and more people are waking up and realizing that this is just designed to manipulate public opinion.
1: And, of course, Internet service providers in New Zealand Zealand are blocking access to all kinds of websites out there. Of course, those that do not respond or basically refuse to comply to requests to remove the re-uploads of the shooter's original live stream.
0: What what I think it's very important in this day, and I try to do this, is to have people that you've actually met once physically. And if and if they say, Okay, I've met another person physically, um, that you you, you use these sources. So for example, I know that the I have a friend who lives in Pittsburgh, very close to where they had the the massacre in the synagogue there. Right. And this guy actually is kind of anti-Jewish, but he lives there. He was there at the time, and he said it was real. So that one I can confirm because I have a direct source. But a lot of the stuff I just don't know because, you know, and and so I try to always have – so if you actually know somebody in New Zealand, you know, uh, that you've physically met before, that's how you get information in this day and age because the digital stuff is just so easy to fake now that – if we're not careful, you know, we're going to be uh, losing touch with the reality if we, you know.
1: Definitely. That's something that we do need to have discernment about. And I saw the footage right before YouTube started pulling it down, and it looked pretty convincing to me. But then well, when... I
0: looked at mm-hmm. it, and I, a couple things struck me. First of all, I didn't see any blood. Um, and the other was that. Um, Usually if people are being shot like they're going to scream hysterically in fear and that wasn't going on um you know there was a lot of unnatural stuff about it but I'm not going to make a final conclusion on that I just no doubt. don't No okay. but but I I'm getting suspicious at this point you know
1: Yes I did uh, I did see that footage of the bullets sort of disappearing
0: Yeah but again maybe maybe you know here's where you're going to get you know paranoid maybe somebody is trying to alter the real footage to make people think it didn't happen. You know what I mean? True. Yes. It's so, you, you, again, you can go down a rabbit hole and that's why I try to stick to things I actually see and experience with my own eyes and so that I can be sure. Right. Right. Uh, but I'll try to, I have a, a, an Australian friend who has spent a lot of time in New Zealand. I'll try to get people who are actually there to find out what really happened, you know, because, that's what you have to do these days
1: yeah you definitely do and of course I saw the footage and I thought that's kind of strange the way the the shooter moved and how he was so calm it really did lead me to believe that he had some sort of training at possibly some Islamic terrorist uh, group or camp because he was known to travel and uh,
0: he was was trained in Israel according to my Pentagon sources you know um and, and uh so it, it, it seems, and if you look at the the media campaign, right, that follows this event, there, it has two aspects: um, gun control and uh, denouncing what they call white supremacy, right? Right. So you know, as a Latin thing, saying goes, "Qui bono?" Who benefits from such an event? What's the agenda? You know, and and try to figure out from that, you know, where where it's coming from. Okay, well, it's been nice talking. Oh, wait, and, Ben, uh,
1: bef- before you before you leave, you have you have to give me one last one. Uh in your opinion, the presidential candidates so far uh, for 2020, uh we have people like Elizabeth Warren and uh Kamala Harris and Bernie Sanders and and the very strange one in I believe is what what's his name a uh, Joe Biden who's actually leading uh, currently right now as a candidate to topple the rest. Um, what what's your take on the next election? Will President Trump uh, trump these people, or will we see someone rise to the level and take over?
0: What I'm hoping is that before you have your next election, that you have true freedom of the press and real debate so that people can make an informed choice again. And and also rip out all that electronic voting stuff and have go back to paper ballots so that the people can actually choose a genuine president right now. I, my best call is that they're all fake actors and none of them have any real power. And and then if you want to restore the U S Republic, you're going to have to shut down the big media companies, break them up and, and eliminate electronic voting. And uh, then you can have a genuine president again.
1: All Understood. right, thanks for, for talking. Yes, and before we cut you loose, Ben, anything you'd like to plug uh, before we say goodbye?
0: Well, um, if you go to net, that's my subscription blog. That's How I earn a Living, and you'll get information there, hopefully, that you won't find anywhere else. Uh, because, you know, as a journalist, if it appears in writing, then somebody has beaten me to the story. And I try to get stuff before anybody else. And I think I often succeed, so please subscribe and uh, help me continue my work. Thank Amazing. you very much. Thank
1: you so much, Ben. Take care. Yeah, bye. Bye-bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Benjamin Fulford with a very exclusive interview there. And I definitely hope all of you enjoyed that one. It was a bit of a classic there. And, of course, I hate to do this, but... It is that time to wrap up, folks. I'm very sorry about that, but we definitely will do Saturday night here. And, of course, Dr. James Fetzer will be with me live and in the flash, ladies and gentlemen. It will definitely be amazing. And, of course, before we take it home... Much respect to our international listeners out there. Got a lot of love for all of you in the UK and Canada and Brazil, Spain and Germany and of course Australia and of course those in Pakistan. I see some of you out there. I know exactly who you are. Amazing. I'm so glad you are all still out there alive and well. Very dangerous to be out there in this time and age and of course I'd like to thank those at Deprogrammed Radio, and coming right up, and The Fringe FM. And of course, those in the chat room. Incredible. I'm so glad you are here, and not somewhere else. I'll be back on Saturday, folks. 7 p.m., same time, same bat channel. I'm Michael Deacon, and with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.